Hi, how can I help you today? As a McDonald's employee, you say those words quite often. But how about when you need help, like consulting a doctor? Hi, how can I help you today? When you work for a McDonald's restaurant, we take care of you like family. With free virtual doctor's visits, including getting prescriptions and refills for you and everyone in your family. Apply today at careers.mcdonalds.com and find out more. The benefits described herein are only available at participating restaurants. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The New Orleans Pelicans Welcome to In the Know, the Bourbon Street Shots Podcast. We're your hosts, Shemit Duop and Mason Ginsberg, and this is all Pelicans all the time. Welcome to In the Know. What's up, Mr. Mason? Haven't chatted with you in a little bit. The Pelicans have uh, done some things, which we will discuss. But uh, how's it up in Chicago? I heard it's snowing. It must be fun. Awesome times uh, in April uh, when there's snow. It's May, it, almost. Well, yeah, it's the it's the worst because, I mean, one, snowing in general, snow is the worst, but also the, the rest of the month has been really nice and kind of thought we were out of the, like fully out of the winter. And of course, yesterday and today we get some snow. I, I hope and I, I think, I think this is it though. Um, so that's good. But, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, got, got shot two last week. So pumped about that. Uh, so come, vaccine shot number two, right? Not like I got shot as well um, in other terms. Oh, I'll, I'll leave that up to an interpretation, I guess, but no, um, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, se- second vaccine shot. And so, you know, a, a week from tomorrow will be the two week mark. So, and so very, uh, relieving, uh, can start to, I I've been very strict, uh, almost, uh on even like eating indoors and, and all this stuff. I, I haven't been, I've been basically over a year, not going to my gym and just doing home workouts. And so I think those are a couple of things I'm going to feel more comfortable doing, uh, you know, once, once the month of May hits. So pretty, pretty, pretty excited. I think there was a question a long time ago on our, uh, on the pod. I think it was when the pandemic like first started the beginning of the pandemic. And they were like, what are you looking forward to doing the most when this is over? (laughs) And it's been a year and it's like, um, honestly, just going outside. (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) Doing, doing normal, normal things. I mean, yeah. And then I just, like I got, I've got my personally doing a bachelor party in June for my, and then wedding in July. And so see, hearing and hearing about friends and family, you know, getting vaccinated, it, it just makes, you know, puts my mind at ease that everyone's healthy. And then I feel like we can have this big event that we've been looking forward to my fiance and I for a couple of years now <laughs> and, and feel like it may go off knock on wood without a hitch we'll see though (laughs) are you so what would be your reaction if uh, a listener of in the know or someone associated with the podcast uh came and crashed your wedding um so my first reaction would be uh oh this this is it for me because that's probably alonzo stan um (laughs) (laughs) um 
But uh, you know what? If, if they went through that kind of effort to, 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 to make it happen, more, more power to them. So uh, I think I would probably, I, I'd probably laugh more than anything else uh, and, and be impressed with the level of dedication. As okay, long as it was an Alonso stand. Uh, DM me and we will hatch a plan <laughs> and uh, figure out how to do this. But I guess we should transition to the Pelicans. And the Pelicans have now lost four straight. They lost a couple overtime games. They lost another close one to the Brooklyn Nets where Kyrie Irving took over. They are who they have been the whole year, which is a terrible team in the clutch who cannot close games to save their life. And the Pelicans now sit firmly behind the Warriors when it comes to the 10th spot and the play in Uh, it seems like those, those hopes are dwindling that the Pelicans can catch one of these teams. I mean, unless the Spurs who actually are in the 10th spot, the Warriors are in the ninth spot. The Spurs are 28 and 28. The Pelicans are 25 and 33, unless the Spurs just lose an unbelievable amount of games going forward. And the Pelicans don't lose an unbelievable amount of games going forward. It, it seems like, the window is closing. Would you agree? Yeah. I'm, I'm just sitting here wondering why we even bother watching fourth quarters for the Pelicans at this point. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. <laughs> I think it was McNamara who tweeted a stat that they were like 30, they would be like 35 and 23, um, which is what the Lakers are right now is as the fifth seed. Um, if games ended at the, like at the 45 minute mark. <laughs> You, you see that? Oh, wow. Okay. 45 minute mark. That's impressive. I was going to say like, you see young teams tend to struggle in the fourth quarter, or, or, <laughs> but, but damn <laughs> the first nine minutes of the fourth quarter and then cutting it off. That's, that's something. Yeah. The, the last three minutes is where the magic happens. And um, speaking of which the Pelicans play the magic next tomorrow, but um, sorry, I, I had to put that in there, but yeah, I mean, it, you know, the Pelicans, have been the league's healthiest team. They've had their starters for the past four games that they've lost. Um, Alonzo's been on a little bit of a, a minutes restriction, but he's also just not been very effective. And and they're losing, right? So, like, okay, the excuses are we don't have Nikhil, we don't have Josh Hart, which are, are solid excuses because those are useful players on a team that is struggling to g- generate offense. Um, but if your hopes hinge upon Nikhil Alexander-Walker and, and Josh Hart, then you're probably just not a good team to begin with, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the Nets didn't have Kevin Durant and James Harden. And so, you know, like the, the Pelicans desperately do need Nikhil and and Josh because when when your team doesn't have reliable offensive options, the importance of even – I want to call them tertiary. I don't know, like fourth level options as those guys. Yeah. Uh, the importance of them is, you know, it's, it's not linear. It's, it's increased in magnitude because the next guy behind them is just so much worse. Yeah. It's the favors rule from last season. <laughs> right. And, and so it's, it's problematic. They still can't get the job done somehow, some way the Pelicans starting five lineup continues to, get there like plus three plus four in like this first six minutes of the first and the uh first six minutes of the the third quarter and to where they end up with a positive net rating on the whole but god damn they cannot close games and um they just they don't i mean look i the stats say one thing i, I don't think they're a very good unit uh, or a reliable unit let's let's say that maybe they're okay they're serviceable but they're not a very re- reliable unit such that when you dig into the bench and you start bringing in the substitutions that they have got you so far out ahead that they can mask any shortcomings to when they're, when they're off the floor. So yeah. not, not really rolling with that. Yeah. So I don't know if you saw the stats I tweeted out last night, but I was looking at the starting lineup net rating by quarter and by half. So um, they, because in last night's game, they were plus 10, in the first five minutes and 18 seconds. And then in the third quarter, there were minus 12 in the first 430 of the third quarter. And then that ended the Bledsoe uh, time. And, and then they went to Najee. So um, overall, in the first half, the Pelican starting lineup is, and, and this is this their normal starting five, not any starting lineup. So they're, they're Bledsoe, Alonzo, B.I., Zion, Adams. Net rating 
298 minutes in the first half is plus 8.9. In the second <laughs> half, 254 minutes minus 2.5. And then it gets worse if you look at the third versus the fourth. So in the third, they're not they're minus 1.5 in 210 minutes. So just below, you know, below zero. They're minus 7.0 in the fourth, only, but only 44 minutes. So, <laughs> I mean, whether it's because they're getting blown out or other reasons, I mean, it's clear that even the starting lineup when it comes to crunch time, and that's when those guys would play, it's crunch time. They're not, you're not going to see the starting lineup in the game to start the fourth quarter. You're going to see it towards the end of the fourth quarter when the games are close and the, the lineup consistently shifts the bed. And at some point, you've got to pull the plug. And maybe Stan McNunley finally did it last night. For good. We'll see. I don't think so. I have zero confidance in that. <laughs> Damn, man. Stan even <laughs> said so in his presser. He was like, it's not about bled. It's about, you know, Najee was having a good, I don't know. He used some, some bullshit, but he was basically saying that it's not bled's fault. And he's kind of like brushed aside blood. So criticism the whole year, which yeah, um, I don't get, I think the mandate has to come from Griffin uh, if they, they're serious about it. And even if it does, I'm not convinced that Stan is one to heed it. Uh, I think the whole reason kind of Stan came on to it is a came on to this team is because there's a, a healthy separation of powers here. And that's kind of been apparent with, you know, like Zion playing as many minutes as he needs to and, and the young players not playing as much as the front office might like. And so it's, I don't think this is an Alvin Gentry situation where Griff could just hold his employment status over his head, so to speak, and be like, Oh, you got to play these dudes. Um, but yeah, I, I think this is entirely up to Stan and I'm not convinced that Stan is ready to move on from blood in any capacity. I'm just, I'm just not, I, I think he's going to look at the same stats we look at, like, Oh, look at the, the starting lineup. It's, it's so good. And uh, just, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think what you might see though, is at least a hedge there and maybe he is quicker to make changes in the second half um so i think we'll we'll blood so immediately come out of the starting lineup for next game i i tend to agree with you that that's not going to happen um but it maybe maybe what we saw yesterday signals a quicker trigger to go away from it and try something else and so um now i, I we'll, we'll see i just um you know i, I really just don't understand it, like for the last two or three months i mean just the fit makes no sense um you've got I mean, when, when Bledsoe was your secondary creator on the floor to BI, he at least had a clear role. And now that that guy is Zion, the primary guy is Zion and, and you have BI secondary, you're just not using Bledsoe. And not to even say he's a great creator. He's not, but he, he gets, he can get to the rim. And like, that's kind of what he did in Milwaukee. Um, but it's just not what he, they don't give him that role. Like they're, they're, they're camping him in the corner for so many possessions and he's just, that's that's not doesn't fit him at all, and so uh, I, I just don't see the utility for him in the starting lineup. I mean, I'm not saying you you totally bench him, and I don't think the Pelicans will do that. And maybe unless Bledsoe says I'm, it gets fed up with getting benched in the first place. But I, I just I think there are other ways that you can give him rotation minutes and him still be serviceable. It just doesn't make sense with the starting lineup. I just don't see it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hey, you're preaching you're preaching to the choir. He's not good. <laughs> he's just not good that's, that's the end of the story he's been he's been terrible and I think kind of what we started off podcasting about at the beginning of the season has come full circle here we are at the end of the season and it's been the guard play right uh Eric Bledsoe wasn't quite good enough Lonzo was had, had a not great start to the season and here we are again at the end of the season facing the same issues where the Pelicans struggle to have them be good consistently over the course of a game, be good together, um, be good period, right? So they played the Knicks and Bledsoe had a hot five minute spurt where he scored a bunch of points and then <laughs> he sucked the whole game. So, right, there was, there was a five minute spurt in the third quarter where he, he went off and then he's just sucked. And then we were going to talk about the Knicks game. I don't, I don't want to get into it yet. And then Lonzo, Lonzo had... Uh, last night, you know, he had a two minute stretch where he hit like two threes and then a couple mid range shots. And all of a sudden, you know, he was up to 15 points and that's it. He was invisible the whole game otherwise. And, and that's an issue is you can't get a combined 10 minutes of good guard play uh, over two games, over 96 minutes. And 
we've kind of beaten a dead horse about, you know, what that means for the future and how they should build team, uh, build their team, uh, taking that into account, yada, yada, yada. But that that's a huge issue that, that there's no reliability there that Ingram and Zion have to shoulder an enormous weight, uh, both from creation and shot making, because there's just, there's just nothing that you can expect from that backcourt position. And, and, and that's why, you know, like losing Nikhil and Hart, yeah. is is more than just like oh you're you're losing role players it's it's more important because they they you know you're relying on them to give you something and otherwise you got Wes and Wundu yeah oops who is a guy yeah um, but yeah <laughs> or, or, or Nunnally <laughs> or, or James Nunnally yeah um you know the 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 plus side the flip side of the coin has been Najee Marshall who's been getting yeah. those minutes and he's been pretty damn awesome uh yeah let's just talk about Najee Marshall I want to talk about something good before we talk about whatever happened in that next game and, and what came after uh <laughs> so Najee Marshall he's been uh getting rotation opportunity ever since Josh Hart went down James Johnson has been uh injured as well so that's increases his minutes load but Najee Marshall man that dude is a basketball player he defends he's an undrafted rookie who Stan Van Gundy already trusts to put on the league's best players. So he put him on Bradley Beal. He put him on Russell Westbrook. He put him on Kyrie Irving. Stan doesn't trust anyone on defense outside of Eric Bledsoe. He doesn't. And and the fact that the undrafted rookie is getting these primetime assignments, especially in crunch time, I mean, hey, like Kyrie Kyrie scored on him uh, pretty much every time down the stretch in the clutch. But that was more so Kyrie being absolutely ridiculous and making ridiculous shots. And Marshall played incredible defense on him, in my opinion. He slid with him. He contested his shot, bothered him, made it as difficult as possible. And, and you know, Kyrie still came up with the bucket and you have to tape your hat. But, you know, this guy, he fights around screens. He doesn't give up on plays. He generates events defensively uh, with steals and deflections. I watch him defend guys at the three-point arc, and before the shot even hits the rim, he's already underneath the rim, boxing out, going for a rebound in an instant where four other Pelicans players are just staring at the ball as it's in the air. Um, it's unbelievable where you know you blink and he's he's gone from the three-point line to the basket, waiting for the rebound. So that's the type of energy that the Pelicans have been lacking. And what's been most impressive to me uh, about him is his shape-shifting nature on offense. Um, there was a really good article today about Najee Marshall. Um, let me let me figure out where the exact uh, hosting of this article is. One second, because I want I want to give the, the writer his props. So it's Mark Schindler, and he wrote it. Sorry, my computer. Premiumhoops.org. Premiumhoops.org. Great. Mark Schindler on premiumhoops.org. He did a really good breakdown on Najee. He called him basketball ditto, uh, like the Pokemon ditto. And, and Mason, you, I don't think you've played Pokemon, have you? Dude, yeah, I have. You have? Yeah. Oh, okay. Here we go. <laughs> I'm, I'm not giving you I enough credit. I, I understood that reference. <laughs> you understood that reference. Okay. Um, but, you know, if you haven't played Pokemon, first of all, play it. Uh, you're, you're not too old for it. And and second of all, you know, there's this Pokemon who can basically morph into pretty much anything, right? It can, it can, it's a shapeshifter. And so that's what Najee Marshall has been on offense. If they've needed him to, to spot up and take threes, he's doing that. If they've needed him to close out, put the ball on the floor and facilitate, he's doing that. If they need him to push the ball up and transition, he's doing that. If he, if they need him to initiate the offensive sets, He's doing that. So he's basically whatever you need him to do, he's doing it. And it looks easy for him. He doesn't look out of his depth. Um, there aren't, again, we said this about Kyra, but there aren't many areas where you can be like, oh gosh, <clears throat> he made a he made a bad mistake here. He made a rookie mistake here. He doesn't look like a rookie. And, and part of that's being a, you know, a three-year player at Xavier. So he comes with a lot of experience, but he does the simple play and it's effective. So he puts the ball on yeah. the floor, um, goes down the paint in his own pace, draws the defense and then passes it. 
really simple to do. Eric Bledsoe, being the veteran that he is, is unable to do this on a nightly basis, right? And and they're getting Najee Marshall, who is an undrafted rookie, making this look effortless. And, you know, he's doing things that the starting backcourt just can't do or won't do. And, and that's what's been most impressive to me is, is the fact that he can just mold himself in any situation and get the job done. And he's getting to the free throw line. He has a higher free throw rate than Zion. You know how incredible that is? He has the highest free throw rate on the team. Um, I, I don't want to interrupt you, but I, I wanted to point to something about his game that has uh, that has been really impressive to me beyond the things that you said. And this is, this is kind of your, your island all season long. And I'm looking at the Pelicans over the last six games, they're the drive stats. And so um, first of all, where do you think Najee ranks in drives per game uh, for the Pelicans over the last six? Third. Fourth. Um, so he's Bledsoe's ahead of him. Uh, so Bledsoe's eight per game. Najee's oh. at 5.8. Five, Najee's at 5. Um, okay. But that, that's honestly, that's the, that's the least impressive part. It gets, I mean, he's, he's, first of all, your point around free throws, he's averaging 1.7 free throw attempts on those drives, which is a, a much higher rate than Zion, 15.7 drives per game and 2.3 free throw attempts, even higher than BI too, as a, as a percentage. Um, he is averaging uh, 1.2 assists on those 5.8 drives. And, uh, and his turnover rate is 2.9%. <laughs> essentially means he's turned the ball over like once on yeah. all of those drives. It's I, insane. I, I tweeted out these stats today. This is from cleaning the glass. So for wings, for, for everyone who's a wing, he's 91st percentile in assist rate, 90th percentile in turnover rate, um, 99th percentile in, in shooting fouls drawn, which is what we're talking about here. 97th percentile in defensive rebounding rate. So there's, there's a lot of statistical markers that jive with the eye test of what you're seeing from him that are extremely promising. Now the sample is really small and I expect those percentiles to come down a little bit sure, uh, yeah. as, especially if he becomes more of a ro- like a mainstay in the rotation plays extended minutes uh, and all of that. But the fact remains, this dude is a basketball player. He can do multiple things on the court in which you are feeling him or, feeling his impact every single night, whether you're feeling it defensively and, and he's your point of attack defender, whether you're feeling it on the glass, whether you're feeling it in, in his facilitation, scoring, whatever it is that you need, he's filling in the gaps quite nicely. And and if if he continues to improve upon this and, and his shot becomes solid, I think over the last four or five, he's, he's around 40% from, from three, which is a terribly small sample, but the stroke doesn't look bad and he's going to continue to get wide open looks when playing with Ingram and Zion. Cause you know how defenses are. They're just going to give you wide open looks. So if he can become a 35 to 37% shooter on those wide open looks, the Pelicans have themselves a steal of a player. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think um, the one thing that caught my eye specifically last game is his, his courage. I mean, he took two big shots down the stretch. He missed both of them. But the fact that he took them shows he's, he's I mean, he's, he's willing. And I can see a lot of players in the Pelicans team make the extra pass, not be, not want to, you know, put their neck out on line for that. But it's, an op- it's a wide open three in a situation where you need that type of bucket. And he, had, he did not hesitate at all and, and put it up. And so to your point, if, if he can really start to, you know, hit those more consistently and improve that, pre- that three-point percentage, um, yeah, they, they, got, they got a player all the way around. I've been asking several people this, and I'm curious to hear your opinion. What would you say is your player comparison for him? To when we started talking about Najee, that's exactly where my mind was was kind of going. I'm, I'm trying to. Th- I, I was. Um, I mean, it doesn't Ariza have to be. To, a, a, Ariza, a, yeah, Ariza comes to mind. Oh, okay. What do you see? What do you see about him with Ariza like qualities? Um, I see that Ariza, he, I feel like Ariza has always been a plus defender. I think Ariza, I can tell you based on his time with, the, with short time with the Hornets, the shot wasn't there at the start of his career and it came around. It became, it, it became pretty damn good. Um, and so I think, um, you know, I, I think we also saw, 
I think later in his career, Ariza became more of just like that spot up guy. But I think he he's you know he was able to do a little bit more with the ball in, in really around his prime years. But um, I, I just see some similarities there. I, he's probably you know what we've seen from Najee suggests a more all a more well rounded offensive player than Trevor Ariza. But um, but that was the first player who came to mind for me. I would want to think about a better comp uh, than that. Maybe. You don't have to, yeah. So like I. I don't think comps need to be rigid, like one-to-one players. Yeah. You could take elements from players if you, if you, if you want, you know, like this player's yeah. passing this player's whatever. Yeah. Um, I, I like the, the baseline Ariza one. I think Ariza um, is a, a, you know, a tad bit more effective defensively sure. um, in terms of getting into passing lanes, generating events uh, and all of that probably because he, I think he was slightly bigger as a wing as well. Uh, I, he, I think that he's, less impactful at putting the ball on the floor than Najee is, which is what's interesting, right? I yeah. was the, yeah. the comparison I use, you know, is like, okay, like imagine there's like a an X axis of skills and a Y axis of skills. And so like, you know, his passing, he has this sort of like connective passing that I think is somewhere in the spectrum between, you know, like Lonzo and Draymond, right? And and you can even throw like you know, Kenrich on, on that same spectrum, because like, you know, Kenrich would be at the bottom of the spectrum and like Lonzo, I think would probably be like in the middle. And then, you know, like Draymond would be um, at at the top. And I I think that his ability to put the ball on the floor kind of puts him in between Lonzo and Draymond, not saying that he's an overall better passer than Lonzo. I think people are going to flip out when, when I'm making this comparison, but just kind of the ability to get the ball to people in places. Um, and and you watch Draymond bring the ball up the floor in transition and his head is always up and he's all how he's always finding people or how he attacks uh, lanes when, when there's space, obviously there's less space right now in, in golden state, but he is a master at two on one situations um, when, when they trap Curry and he's in that short role and he's, he's finding, you know, either the lob or kicking out the corners. Um, the way Najee brings the ball up the floor and, and looks and for those passing lanes reminds me a lot of Draymond. And again, that's a very specific niche uh, skill set that reminds me of him. But what separates Najee, I think, from you know the Kenriches, the Draymonds, the Lonzos is his his free throw rate. The fact that he gets to the line so often, and that's where the comp becomes so difficult. And you're like, okay, well, who are wings that can pass and get to the line and rebound, yeah. and and like you're you just start coming up short it's like okay there's jimmy butler you know jimmy butler can pass rebound defend and and get to the line um and he's a questionable shooter there's you know lebron james but like that's not you know like those aren't realistic comparisons for for him you know for for naji so it's like he may just be kind of this unique player that does all these things he might not end up being the most efficient player which to be honest, if he keeps getting to the line as much as he does, I think his efficiency will level up just fine. Um, but, you know, he's going to be a person that that impacts the game in so many different areas. And I'm, I'm struggling to come up with good comparisons for him. Because, like, you know, Nick Batum is a playmaker, can do a I've lot got, of things. I've got one that I'm curious to hear your, your response to. Um, yeah. And maybe not, quite, not, maybe not good, quite good enough of a passer, but Jalen Brown. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I, I I don't see the similarity per se. Okay. I think I think Jalen Brown. I guess it depends. Like, are you talking about current Jalen Brown or? Yeah, because he he so Jalen Brown. He's right this year. He's I mean he's hit did three three point four assists per game, but he's, he's doubled as his career assist rate. So I think he he's taken a step up in that in that regard. And um, I mean, I, how about uh how how about Drew? Yeah, I mean, so I, I wanna, I wanna let's let's talk about Jalen a little bit. I think with Jalen, you know, he's, I think his his offensive game is significantly different, and his like self creation and and now his ability to hit threes. Jalen's just become a complete monster of a player. Sure. Um, and so you know that I think, I think I can see some elements, but I think with how athletic Jalen is. Um, and how he uses his athleticism to complement his skills. It's just not what I see Najee doing. Um, Drew's a very interesting one. Um, And, and you're right with, with, I could see a future where 
Najee gets the same level of matchup difficulty as Drew. I, I'm not saying he can be as effective as Drew as defending those top level guys, but I can definitely see a future where he's defending those same uh, those same players that you put Drew on. I've always said that the Pelicans need a guy to put on other guys. You know, you, 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 every team has their one dude that they put on other teams, dude, to slow them down. And forever that's been Drew. And yeah. the Pelicans haven't had that dude. They've, they've tried with, you know, Lonzo and, and Bledsoe to very poor success. And so I think Najee can be the guy to put on other guys, whether or not, you know, if they're going to, he's going to have the freedom to be a starter in the future or not. I don't, I don't know. You know, that's going to depend on roster addition. Um, but I, I can see him having the same, someone made this comparison to me, a less athletic Igadala. Yeah. I mean, mm. I, I mean, I can see that. I feel like, I feel like we're hitting all, I, those are like all the staple three and D type guys. And I was trying to go a little outside the box and I, mean, I feel like people are, are probably listening to this and laughing, but like, this is like a, we're not, we're not saying that Najee are, is these guys we're saying that, you know, what, 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 if everything goes right, like, what could he, what, what, whose game could he mirror? And like, that's, that's the conversation we're having. I, I like the Iguodala comp, you know, Iguodala, especially with the Warriors, um, yeah, you could just trust him to do a lot of things on the floor. Whatever they needed him to do, he would, he did. And and you're right. I think he's the less. I think he's the less athletic. I I also threw around uh, a bigger Will Barton. Um, and and Will Barton's offensive game, you know, developed, but he's a little bit of a do everything type of guy. And and I don't know if Najee becomes the same kind of offensive player as well as possible. I mean, he was a really good offensive player in yeah. in college, but. Yeah, I think I think that's on the table as well. I've been trying to run this statistical filter um, and see what kind of results I get and if I even get good results. God damn it. I don't have stat head. Should I go ahead and subscribe? Um, oh, man. I, I, yeah, I mean, it's uh, I, I think the nice thing about this discussion we're having about Najee is that he doesn't have to do what Drew did on offense for this team. And so like, that's been the tough part. Obviously Drew's size creates an issue when trying to defend those dudes, like you said, on those other teams. I mean, defensively, he has the ability to do it. He just, I mean, sometimes guys are just too big. And so, um, you know, Najee number one has the additional size and two isn't going to, doesn't need to be your second option on offense or your first option or even your third, hopefully. But um, so like, you know, let, let you really, make your mark on one end and just be the, the Igudala, so to speak on the other. Yeah. I, I, I did a, a statistical um, search on basketball reference for assist percentage greater than 17 rebounding percentage, defensive rebounding percentage greater than 19 and free throw attempt rate greater than, than 50%. And I can't see the top 10 results um, because I'm not subscribed. So someone else run the search for me, but the results that I'm seeing below the top 10 are all hall of famers. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like Charles Barkley, Pau Gasol, Grant Hill, Giannis Attentacumpo, Blake Griffin, Detlef Shrimp, Carl Malone. And so um, it just kind of underscores the uniqueness of his playmaking, his rebounding and his ability to get to the line. And it's, he may just kind of being this weird player who's his own player, you know, like he, 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 cause he's, you know, those guys all have usage rates of like, you know, 25 to 30, if not higher. And he's uh, sitting at a 15% usage rate. And I think I expect that to increase, you know, I expect it to get around 17, maybe 20, but he's going to be likely, you know, for the next couple of years, you know, maybe, maybe not, maybe he's going to take a big leap, but likely for the next couple of years, he's going to have a, a pretty low usage rate yet, you know, hit all these statistical categories, which is, what's going to make him something uniquely him. And uh, I think that's exciting. Yeah, um, absolutely. I, I think uh, we'll have, you had Zion at the Zion before, now you're going to have nausea at the nausea, right? So but, <laughs> by, 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 by the end of this, we're going to have five basketball players and say screw positions. <laughs> right, right. And I, I would love for them to, to continue. I would just love for them to straight up start him for the rest of the year. Yeah. The straight up stardom and with with Lonzo, and uh, I need to clarify that point because it's it is Bledsoe that we are wanting to bench. Don't worry, folks. Uh, <laughs> Bi at the two, Najee at the three, right? That's how you do it. If you got to align them to, to positions, sure. I mean, it, it's it's Najee defend 
the best guy and then Lonzo go defend the other guy. You know what I mean? That's that's what it is. So you it's it's whoever if, if the best guy happens to be a three, then Najee go defend that guy. If the best guy happens right. to be a two, Najee go defend that guy. Yep. Um but and put BI on whoever is the worst. Or even yeah, even the I mean the one too, right? Like if I'm thinking about the, the nice thing about Zion and Najee or sorry, Alonzo and Najee is that I mean, Lonzo's six six. They, they've got size, right? And they, they, they so they can be versatile. And so, if you're looking at a situation like best case scenario where the Pelicans are in striking distance of that playing game, which is again very unlikely, but and then you're playing, you're going up against the freaking Warriors three times. Uh, I don't. I mean, I want nausea on Steph. Not that the results are going to be good, but that's who I want on him. I, yeah, I, I think Steph's going for 60 no matter what. <laughs> yeah, so, so <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think, you know, save me the embarrassment, let him, let him go for 60 on blood. So that way I can just blame blood. So, and not shatter my <laughs> illusion on, on Najee. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, they had him on Westbrook. They had him on Kyrie. So yeah, I, I trust him to defend ones, maybe not over the course of a game, you know, maybe let Lonzo do that heavy work, but yeah, if, if you need to stop, you put him on him, but that's a lot of Najee gushing. And um you already see me, you know, tweet about Najee 2022, which is Nikhil, uh, Na, and uh, Najee as the starting perimeter players for the future. Um, would be fun to see. I think they both add a element of, hey, these guys are basketball players that provide a lot of things in different areas. So yeah, I think why it works is is what you were just talking about in terms of his versatile offensive skill set. You've got if you've got Nikhil, you've got um, Najee, you've got Zion, you've got B.I., that's four starters who can drive, who can put the ball on the floor and get and, and create, uh, you know, put pressure on the defense. And pass. So, yeah, yeah, and pass. And so you do, you don't need a – if you've got th- that, those guys who can do that, you don't need a pure point guard. Uh, you know, that's, that's – I mean, maybe you want one in the second unit. Hello, Kyra. Um, but I, I think it, it helps to – it helps with your – D- decision making on who you're going to fill out the roster with like who's that you know who, who's the other guy you want to go get i think it gives you it gives you options and so um, yeah i, I, I mean ideally be- right so ideally you know like i mean adams is adams whatever if you have an athletic play finisher cough cough jackson hayes at at that that last spot and you have four guys who can pass the ball like that that's a configuration I like because it gives, it gives your offense a lot of versatility and a lot of shape. There's, there's an element of shape shifting on the offense, uh, being able to adjust to, to what the defense is throwing at you that the Pelicans lack right now. So really because of um, a lack of skill, there's a lack of shooting on the offense. And then there's a lack of, um, you know, there's a lack of the, the dribble penetration that, that we've discussed or effective dribble penetration because, you know, Bledsoe can drive sometimes, but he just doesn't do shit with it when he does. Um, and, and, and that's related to shooting. That is, that's related to shooting. And so, you know, we've kind of discussed this uh, in, in group chats, but what they need uh, as far as shooting goes is like, obviously they need knockdown guys. And so it, it's still a challenge if not Najee and Akil are your starting guys the defenses probably still won't respect them. What they need is those guys to launch away. They need them to be attempts, yeah. high level attempts guys. And Lonzo does a really, really good job of being an attempts guy. And, you know, it's unfortunate <laughs> to him. <laughs> what? Just the way you phrase that is like, he's really, really good at three point attempts. <laughs> I think it's an important skill. I think, yeah, I, I think the, I the ability to get up eight, eight to 10 threes a game is, is not something every player can do uh, or is willing to do. They think there's a certain level of um, confidence that is required uh, to do so. And, and I applaud Lonzo for, for recognizing that the issue is, you know, that's the entirety of his game, right? So he's an attempts guy and he can't do anything else when those attempts aren't working. And so it, it becomes one dimensional, but Nikhil, and and Najee, you need them to be attempts guys, but you know that you know if those attempts aren't going in, there are other basketball skills that they can fall back on to make themselves effective. And so, yeah, they need attempts guys, and I, I would like Ingram to be an attempts guy. And, and he can't have games where he shoots. You know, the Knicks game that went to overtime, he shot two threes. Zion shot three that game. There cannot be a game where Brandon Ingram shoots less threes than Zion Williamson, or or just takes two. Period. Um, and and so I would like all of them to be attempts guys. Part of part of 
why the Pelicans are unable to cover a lot of ground in in games where they fall behind is because they just don't have that firepower from three or the volume of threes that's going to catch them up and make that make that difference up. And so sometimes, you know, even like 10-point leads seem um, unsurmountable. And whereas with the Pelicans, 10-point lead, 10 leads are blown on a game-by-game basis. Yeah, and it's like, I mean, the, the, I, I totally agree. And, and the frustrating part with B.I. is that, like, it's – the, the dude's 6'8 with a 7'3 wingspan. He's usually going to be able to shoot over people. That's, that, the, people the players who are defending him, he can shoot over. Uh, and I, I trust him to take those shots – more than almost anyone else on the roster, even if they're uh, contested to a degree. So, I mean, yeah, it, it's, it, there are opportunities for him to shoot more threes than he has been. And it may not be as, as fun as, or, you know, enjoy, adorable as, as getting into the lane or getting into like mid range and taking a tough, t- tough jumper, but even, even jumpers that he's good at making, he's, he's making twos at a you know, mid range shots at a high clip this year, but it's just, it's still not as good offense as him taking, those three point shots that he's become good at making. And I just kind of wish the shot profile would tweak, uh, tweak a little bit. I, I, I absolve him um, of a lot of that blame because one, I think it's dependent on the guard play. And again, we've, we've, we've known that this guard, the guard play cannot reliably create shots for others. Yep. I think it's a different situation when yes. Drew is the one that was doing it and creating all these catch and shoot looks for, for Ingram. Um, and, you know, ideally you have a situation where you're starting I mean, if you're starting Nikhil and Najee, you know, the, those are guys that can pass and create those type of shots. But, yep. you know, if, if, you know, I'm not holding my breath. I don't think those are going to be the starters next year, but I'm, you know, it's, it's wishful thinking, but ideally you go get one of those players in whoever is starting in, in the backcourt is a guy that can create shots like that. And, and so you have, you're seeing a lot more Brandon Ingram catch and shoot um, point Zion obviously can create those type of shots, but the way they, they structure the floor uh, with Zion and when Ingram's on the floor becomes difficult because teams know that, <laughs> Hey, Ingram's really the only guy here. Um, when, so when all eyes are on Zion and like one eye is on Ingram, it, it becomes tough. But when you have someone else that's in charge where Zion's a threat and Ingram's a threat simultaneously, that's when things get dangerous as well as the guy with the ball, just, you know, like if they can score um, I've talked about how Malcolm Brogdon would be a tremendous fit of in, in that starting backcourt, just because one, he can shoot the hell out of the ball. He's a 50, 40, 90 guy almost every year. Um, two, he can, he can create shots for others. He's a good passer. He's not, you know, he's not like a De'Aaron Fox or he's not a Luca. He's not a Chris Paul, but he is certainly a better shot creator than what the Pelicans have in their backcourt currently. And so, and, and he can score for himself. So adding a guy in the Malcolm Brogdon mold would go a long way to, easing up offensive issues which the pelicans don't have that many of it's but you know it it would go a long way yeah for sure and i think that's that's kind of to bring this back to 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 blood a little bit not just i mean i I think we've we've beaten on the guy at length but i feel like no no, we have to beat him down a little more because we had we're going to talk about the next game (laughs) fair enough um but no i mean i i just feel like um you know the improved uh, versatility of Zion. And I think I like Zion's even more. I, I know that you always had to have a, a, a defender glued to him at, at wherever he was on the floor early in the season. But I think given his, his recent uh, ability over the last couple months to put the ball on the floor and get to get to the lane, you know, driving the ball, I think it's even more so you just always have to have a body on him. And so if you've got a guy glued to him uh, and you've got a, gl- a guy glued to BI or, or for most of the time, I mean, like that, as being being Eric Bledsoe and, and and the things that he is decent at, which again not that much, but he can. It, it, I think that's where his value was in offense. With the it, when we looked at the the Milwaukee Bucks, was you know you have Giannis and Middleton can, taking up a lot of attention, so Bledsoe could get to the rim and, and make things happen. And so I, I, I that's what the, probably one of the more frustrating parts to me is even with that. And part of it's, you know, that they're, they're not putting the ball in his hands that much because they have Zion and BI, but I feel like there is like opportunity for him to be a little bit more aggressive with the ball and, and, and get the, get passes to guys in the right spots because of how much attention BI and Zion uh, garner when they're out there. So again, just really disappointing that he, he really can't even be that dude when, when Zion and BI are just so, you know, get so much of the attention from defenses. 
Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of the Stephen Adams factor and 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 all of that, but you're right. It's just he's just not. We've seen him in in bench heavy units where you know Adams isn't on the floor and the floor is more space and he just he can't get anything done. He just right. can't. And you're seeing, you know, I, as much as I would like to, uh, you know, g- excuse him with with Adams being on the floor and all that, you're seeing guys like Nikhil and Kyra have no issues doing the same thing. Najee, <laughs> <laughs> Najee, you're yes. right. So it's like, you know, the, the spacing is the same. The guy's just not doing it. Um, but yes, let's talk about that next game because there, there's a couple important things that came out of it. So point number one, it was an overtime loss. And the fact that they, they even reached overtime was a disaster. Um, if you haven't watched the game, don't, don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. You will want to peel your eyes out. But the Pelicans were up three with 7.8 seconds remaining. The Knicks had the ball in the huddle. Stan Van Gundy tells them, foul. You're up three. Foul. Make them go to the line, you know. Uh, and if you don't foul, don't let them shoot a three. Oh, for two. <laughs> so, ball is inbounded. I believe it was inbounded to Kevin Knox. Uh, Najee didn't foul Kevin Knox. I can let that one slide a little bit because Knox had it for like 0.2 seconds, right? So, foul opportunity miss number one. It was given to Derrick Rose, who Eric Bledsoe was on. Derrick Rose took multiple dribbles. Multiple dribbles. Blew right past Bledsoe. He had every opportunity to foul. He had like four seconds to foul the dude. Didn't do it. Blew right past Bledsoe. Lonzo in the strong side corner. Now, this is this is for listeners who are unaware. In the NBA, they tell you it is a cardinal sin to leave the strong side corner to help. And this is just like not even like an end of game situation. In normal situations, that near side corner is not help responsibility on drives. It's the weak side corner. You do not leave the strong side corner. That is a cardinal sin that's been drilled into them since they get into the NBA. Right? It's not not a Stan Man Gundy thing. It's not anything. It's 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 a standard NBA uh, help defense configuration there. So Lonzo Ball, strong side corner. He sees Derrick Rose driving. He thinks, oh, let me go help. And then he realizes, shit, I shouldn't go help. By then it's too late. Derrick Rose has already passed it to Reggie Bullock, the one and only shooter the New York Knicks have the best shooter and he cashes in an open three, which sends the game to overtime and the Pelicans get blown out in, in overtime. In Without overtime. Barrett on the floor. <laughs> and Not then Bullock the fell out too. Like <laughs> out. They couldn't score. And, and this is where, where I have issues with Stan is the team clearly has issues with scoring and you're playing fucking Steven Adams. And then what you'll do instead of going small, is like, Hey, let me go bigger. Let me put Jackson fucking Hayes next to, to, to Steven Adams, which is not what he did um, against the Knicks, but he does so frequently, right? And he'll just like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to go bigger because I'm scared of being out-rebounded. And it's like, dude, you cannot score the fucking ball. Just go small. Like, you have the personnel to go small. You, what, what? I don't know. That That's a separate gripe. But the gripe here is Eric Bledsoe, post-game interview. First of all, Sam Gundy rants. He goes, high school kids could have executed our game plan. You know, if you want an idea of our game plan, look at the Celtics game. Look what we did to Tatum. That was when Josh Hart fouled Jason Tatum before he could get a shot attempt up when the Pelicans were up three. The Pelicans won that game. That's what they were supposed to do. This game, they didn't do it. Sam and Gundy, livid, of course. Uh, post-game presser, Eric Bledsoe on the podium asked, hey, uh, were you told to foul? And he's like, yeah, I wasn't paying attention. But, like, this dude, he – Thought the game was over after Reggie Bullock made the three. Didn't even know the score. He untucked his jersey, and a Knicks player had to go and tell him the game wasn't over. Which explains why he didn't foul, right? If you think you're only up, if you're only up two, <laughs> so maybe it's just he didn't know the damn score and didn't listen to Stan in the huddle. Period. Eleven-year wit. Yep. Yep. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. But you know, uh, Zion Williamson also has a post-game presser. Uh, that game the game was played in, in Madison Square Garden he was asked how do you like playing in uh, New York and boy oh boy did he have an answer and he uh, he was very he was like well I'm glad you asked and uh, he was very happy smiling the whole time and he said New York is you know Madison Square Garden is my favorite place to play 
Um, not gonna lie, you know, outside of New Orleans, and he meant he made sure to say outside of New Orleans twice, but he's like, it's it's my favorite place to play. And of course, national media has run with that quote ever since. And um, yeah, so there's been segments on it on the jump. There's been articles written on it. Uh, I think Windhorse had a podcast on it. Everyone's talking about it. Uh, <laughs> he's had a, a signature shoe released not two days later, coincidentally. And um, just curious to, to hear your and thoughts. And Brooklyn Nets colors. So what New York <laughs> teams do you want to play for? <laughs> Right. Um, man, it's, I mean, at this point, media can say what they want. I mean, we know what's going to happen. We know how this stuff works. And hey, and even Knicks fans can be excited. That's, that's a cool thing to say about, uh, you know, uh, with given, especially given the fact that Zion was born in what, 2000, 2001, and the Knicks have been trashed for his entire life. Like, think about that. And yet he still says something like that, which is, I mean, I would be, I would be jazzed up too if I was, I was a Knicks fan. So, I mean, look, what, 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 what I said about it, and I still really believe this is he's, he's 20 years old. He's grown up just basketball's life. And so he's going to have emotions about certain teams, certain arenas, uh, certain cities, let him, let him do it. I mean, he can, he can, as long as he doesn't say anything too wild. And uh, I mean, I think it's totally reasonable for him to be, to react like he's uh, like, he's doing all this for the first time because he pretty much is. And so um, I didn't really take any offense to it. I think it was, you know, it's just a kid having raw emotions and it's, I, it, it was, it was almost like, I don't know, refreshing to see that type of just unfiltered emotion. And, and he's, he, as long as we just keep in the back of our minds that, well, one, um, the Pelicans still have every advantage in the world to keep him. And I don't think that any of these comments meant that he has any desire to play for the New York Knicks. It just meant that it that the Mad- that Madison Square Garden elicits emotions from him uh, because of what it is. And but that said, I don't think I also don't think it shouldn't be th- considered at at all. I, I think it but it, I also think it's something that is not news to the Pelicans in that they've got to put a winner around him um, because every, every little piece of evidence that there might be, you know, something in the back of his head that he, he, he is thinking about going other places and wants to win. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think this is, that would be news to Griffin or any of the front office there. They want to put a winner around him and they want to do it as soon as possible. Yeah. I mean, look, you're right. It, this is all what it boils down to is can you win with him or not? And sometimes, and most times, winning isn't enough either. So, you know, I've always been kind of resigned to the fact that there's the Pelicans only have a limited time with him. And and so, yes, these two years have been kind of uh, rebuilding, restructuring years. And, and I think you're allowed to do that. I think you're allowed to <clears throat> have a little bit of time to set up your future. I do think that that runway has, has shortened. Um, and, and I think that this offseason is going to be a little bit pivotal in terms of moves. I don't think they need to go all out, right, to, to go and, and make objectively terrible deals to achieve a, a playoff goal. That's still not the case. The goal with Zion Williamson should be building a title contender, and your process should not shortchange that outcome. The outcome should still be, I want to be a title level team with Zion Williamson. It should not be, I'm happy to get into the playoffs. And so, so yeah, I mean, I think that they're going to be aggressive in adding pieces this summer and try to get to the playoffs because that is step one. But I, I, I don't think that it's going to be this um, full court press of, of playoffs or bust that in a way where it effectively seals a title window for short-term gains. I, I don't think that's the case, but you're, but I do think that they have the, they are loading up to do something big. They got all of these dudes on rookie scale, rookie scale contracts. Um, they just brought in Didi who we didn't even talk about. And yeah. that happened that it was announced like right after the next game, which is like, Oh, great. Um, they, they've seen enough. Let's go bring in Didi, but they just brought in Didi. He's going to be, um, I believe on a rookie minimum, or something very close to it, just because of how little room the Pelicans have with respect to the tax. Um, they're probably most likely going to sign Najee Marshall to a similar type deal at the end of the season. They got Kyra, they got Jackson, they got Nikhil, they got Zion. All these dudes 
on rookie scale contracts because they're they're they hope or they anticipate that most of these dudes can provide rotation level production by next year at least right rotation level they don't have to be stars by next year Zion already is a star but you know you can pencil in the keel being a rotation guy jackson a rotation guy Cairo rotation guy Najee a rotation guy unclear about dd i don't think dd's gonna play this season um he hasn't even cleared health and safety protocols yet so by the time he does i don't think there's going to be a single practice that he can go to so maybe if the pelicans are in some blowouts or you know it's like the last game of the season when they shut everyone down and he'll get some run but you know i don't think he's playing so unclear on dd but you know those are those are five dudes otherwise that you can expect rotation level contributions from at i think i haven't done the math i'm just you know like doing it off the top of my head, I think under 30 million a year combined for those five dudes. Cause Zion's at like 10 uh, Jackson's at like five, like maybe he's at eight. Um, you know, maybe let's just say, let's just split the difference and say like six. Nikhil's like at four and those other two guys are going to be like at three and then like, like 1.6 or something like that. I don't know. It's, it's not that much. I think it's under 30 million combined for those five guys. Um, yeah. It's Zion Jackson, Cairo together are like, not uh, like 20, 20 or yeah. 20. Yeah. So Nikhil, Najee and Didi are not worth 10 a piece total. I think they're closer to six. So yeah, they, they combined those, those five guys are like one Brandon Ingram. Um, and, and so they have the ability to go, get big salary level pieces I'm not saying that they should I'm not saying they should take on bloat but they have the ability to bring in big acquisitions um and kind of make the team to front load the team a little bit make it a little bit top heavy in terms of salary contributions um and bring bring on like bench contributions from the cheap players so i, I think they have the flexibility to do that and they will pursue those options um but yeah, I mean, I, I think with Zion, it's it's just just be good with him. That's it. That's really that simple. Just be good. Build a good team with him. Yeah, and, I, and all the reasons you said are, are, are ways in which they can they can go do that. I mean, uh, uh, I, I really I, I think they've got for better or for worse. You can argue about how they got there, but they've got they've got movable salary. Um, you know, not not just. Not just this season, or not this upcoming season, but the one after that too. I mean, I think um, you know you've got Bledsoe's ex- glorified expiring deal. Obviously, the three point nine million in the in the last year that they can that the team can just kind of stretch or or take the hit. But that's that salary to go get a player. Um, the following year, you've got Adams expiring to go get a player. I mean, so not to say they're going to use both those guys to grab stars. Like that, that's not what we're saying. But they've got those contracts that are expiring plus picks. And they have the flexibility to go get dudes that are high paid and can help while still, to your point, having low cost players on their rookie contracts who look like they might be able to help. And so that's always the question is, at what point do uh, young players start having positive ROI on the floor? And so it's that that's it's rarely rookies. Um, And and then the question is, you know, what point your rookie deal are you a are you showing if you can be an NBA player and B start really um, being above replacement level? And so I think that's, you know, if you think about what, what we're looking to see this season beyond the obvious around what is, what is Zion, what can he become? Um, it's these younger guys. What can, what can they be? How can they help? And I think over the last couple of months, we're starting to see that, Hey, maybe they can really fill a, fill a role in this team. Yeah. I think you're exactly right. They're quickly approaching a point where, can't I don't want to say it's fair to expect them to be above replacement level, but that's the projection. They 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 have shown enough. Nikhil before he went down was showing that okay, like he slides right in with the starters and and he finds a way to contribute. Najee is showing he can do the same thing. Likewise, you know, Kyra Kyra has been trending upwards all year. Uh, as recently kind of had a rookie wall, but then had a, a pretty solid night against the Nets. So you know he's he's been a rookie, but the moments he's been on the floor, the Pelicans have won. Right. I'm not saying like one games, but they've they've won the minutes that he's been on the floor. Objectively speaking, you know, he has he's been fine. Um, you know, like Jackson has been trending up. So you're you're right that penciling, not you know, not writing it in ink, penciling these guys in to be uh above replacement level players by next year and rotation level players is pretty huge and allows the Pelicans, in my opinion, 
to go get some dudes, like go bring in some heavy hitters and, um, and just try to be a very good team. And, and if you play it right, you know, you're, if you front load the team correctly, you know, your, your top guys are going to carry, but then it's those, those cheaper rookie scale guys as they get better and better that are really going to raise the team's level. Um, yeah, that's, that's where I'm at with, with, with the team. I'm, I'm optimistic, but obviously, you know, we've seen with the Pelicans, things can go to hell in a handbasket instantaneously. <laughs> instantaneously, somehow faster than you'd expect in every case. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, <laughs> uh, that, that's just life. And so even, even in a year like this, where what, the last thing I think anyone has whatever expects as a Pelicans fan is a healthy team. And that's exactly what we've gotten for most of this year. And yet still things find a way to, to not translate to, to wins. And so, um, obviously you're, whether or not you're happy about that, about the season depends on your goals and expectations. We can probably talk more about that at a later date, but, um, but yeah, just that's, that's, that's Pelicans life, baby. Pelicans life. So are you sure next year you don't want to give Frank Jackson a, a max contract? <laughs> Three and D assassin, Frank Jackson. Uh, you know, I, yeah, we'll, we'll give him, we'll, we'll give him a G league contract. How about that? <laughs> I'm good, bro. <laughs> no thing. I'm good. Um yeah, I'd rather give Lakers Vivian a contract. <laughs> what a story I wake up to. I think that stuff was happening as I like at later at night. I would think I was awake when that stuff was happening, but didn't really actually see what the hell was going on until the next morning and just like what? I just want to say Lakers Whatever. Twitter deserves all of this. They deserve <laughs> all of this nonsense. And 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 so yeah, I good whatever it is good for them yeah i only my, my one regret is not of not seeing that out is, is that there was i i can you imagine just the rush from everyone who of who was anything in lakers twitter who interacted with that uh, alias uh at any point just scrubbing tweets <laughs> like like it's their job yeah <laughs> Like obviously, should, probably all. I think that person morning. deleted their account, but I was like, I wanted to check if that person's been in my mention talking about Lonzo or anything, just to just to see. <laughs> I I know for a fact that account was in my mentions at one point. Um, just over, like it was some some Lakers fat, uh, like you you know, classic. Um, maybe 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 it was like the the eighty trade. I don't know what it was, but that, there's that, enough. There's enough to yeah. be in your mentions about the Lakers, Mason. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Every yes. other day, someone's retweeting something. Yep. yep. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, look, the Pelicans—they uh, suck right now, and uh, maybe they can be good in the future. We don't know. I'm excited to see how some of these young players develop for the rest of the season. I hope everyone makes it out healthy. Legitimately, everyone. Um, cough, cough. Certain. Um, <laughs> people who wish injury upon others um but yes i you know it would be cool if they just bit the bullet on Bledsoe, benched him started Najee the rest of the way and uh hopefully that there's like you know if the pelicans are completely out of it you know once they get mathematically eliminated which might not happen um we don't know but if they get it mathematically eliminated hopefully those last couple of games they can really let kyra and Didi and them go wild see what happens yeah, I mean, say what you want about how long it took to get guys like Kyra and uh, in, in, into the lineup you know, on a regular basis. But I mean, I think we talked a little bit about this uh, a couple podcasts ago that, that what Stan Van Gundy demanded was accountability and um, he, he demanded certain levels of uh, competency in certain areas of the game. And so what, you know, whether or not, I, obviously that that kind of falls apart when you look at Bledsoe <laughs> recently but I, I think that at least the process shows that it drove results it showed it, it drove guys like Jackson and Kyra um not that Kyra ever was like looked that bad when he was out there but but you know it made them have to work for their minutes and earn their minutes and so I think at this point it's pretty clear that they have and so keep it going like give give like you said keep, give them more minutes as the season progresses um, let them, you know, let, let them grow, let, let them figure out, let us figure out 
what they're, you know, what they're good at, what they're not good at. And, and so, you know, I, I think I'm hoping that this trend of, you know, less minutes for blood. So more minutes for these young guys continues. It won't. <laughs> Damn, it's going to be more Bledsoe and more West of Windu <laughs> somehow, some way, and more <laughs> double center lineups because uh, that's uh, that's what the Pelicans are, man. But, yes, I, I think we covered a good amount of topics. I don't got any Mason on the spot questions for you. Didn't do my homework this time. Last <laughs> time I just kind of came up with him on the spot. I don't know if I can recapture that magic. But uh, next time I'll be prepared with a list and we're going to put you on the spot and we'll, we'll get you rapid fire uh, answering questions. But uh, yes, thanks for listening folks. And hopefully we continue to get good things that we have been asking for, including maybe the number one draft pick overall, but we'll see. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Hello everyone, my name is Colin Kelly and I have one question for you. Do you love fantasy football and do you want to win in 2021? Then be sure to check out Rotoviz Overtime and all the other Rotoviz podcasts with new shows dropping every day on Blue Wire. We've got you covered for all things fantasy football. Subscribe to Rotoviz Overtime today.